And I just use Anson because he's won 23 national championships. Super curious. They were all really curious. But I think the the the, the biggest takeaway was leaders stack their giftings in different levels and different ways that make them them. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. And if you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks, now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Travis Wyckoff is the founder of Kingdom Coaching, a consulting business where he partners with leaders to help them discover the strengths that propel them, the constraints that trip them up, and their unique style and voice. He also hosts the Coaching DNA podcast, which is a great podcast focused on investigating what makes coaches and leaders great. Travis coached college baseball for over 11 years. During his time coaching, he coached at the University of Iowa, Creighton University, Des Moines Area Community College, and Dallas Baptist University. He has also served and led on staff at Stonegate Church. Travis was drafted by the Miami Marlins and played collegiately at Wichita State University. Throughout his time running Kingdom Coaching, he has helped and worked alongside some of the best coaches and leaders out there, from Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt, Anson Doris at North Carolina, Kevin Hambly at Stanford, Aaron Boone of the New York Yankees, and many, many more. On the show, Travis shares his own story, experiences leading cohorts with some of the best of the best, building self-awareness, developing curiosity, following the promptings of God, authentic leadership, gaining elite clarity, and much more. There are a lot of great takeaways to apply, so be sure to grab a pen and paper and take notes. Enjoy the show. Everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Travis Wyckoff with me. Travis, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. I don't get a, I don't get invites a lot. I send out a lot of invites, but I don't get many invites, so I was, I was honored. Okay, well, yes, well, we're happy to have you on. If you wouldn't mind, just kind of dive into a little bit of your background and what life was like growing up for you. Yeah. Um, grew up in a little town in southern Kansas and very, very, just the uh, our family was into sports. We just, sports was kind of the air we breathed. And so uh, mom and dad were awesome, super supportive. And so sports was kind of the thing that 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 my life revolved around. Um played basketball, football, and baseball in high school, and then went to uh, Wichita State and played four years at Wichita State, played baseball there, and then uh, played three years in the, in the minor leagues. So honestly, it's, it's, probably, it's probably pretty boring. Like sports was the central thing in, in our life. I think one of the questions you had sent was something to the effect of, was there a, a impactful moment or time for you? And, and honestly, I would just say, the 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 growing up around sports um we, yeah it just it it was it became the air we breathed we were constantly doing it i loved it in in hindsight you know probably what happens is you start attaching your identity to it and so what you're doing and who you are become meshed together and in some cases that can be a really good you know that can be a good recipe for for success and drive and passion and then at some point you also learn is like, man, I'm really unhealthy. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, just sports family, um, constantly playing sports from one season to a next. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what were your parents? What do they do? I mean, were they always in sports too, like coaching or what, what were their professions? So my dad coached for a while. They're both educators. So my dad, uh, when we were in, I, I, I was born in Denver, but I, I lived there such a short time, but my dad coached and taught. My mom was a teacher. And then when we went to Kansas, my dad was just in in um, administration. He was a, a principal, and so they were into education. Um, not, uh, yeah, we were just a sports family. But my dad coached. My mom never really coached or mm -hmm. anything. But education was a, was a big thing for us. I don't remember them really stressing education. Again, it was just kind of the the air that we breathed. Yeah, it was the environment that you grew up in. Yep. Would you say that? What are some of the things maybe that you took away from your parents being educators, but also being around sports? As you look back at your life, what are some some traits and some qualities that you really appreciate about them? Yeah, 
I think the one thing that sticks out is they just went up, they got up and went to work every day. Um, I don't recall ever hearing my parents talk about, oh, I'm super passionate about teaching. I also don't ever recall them complaining. So I, 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 I don't recall a lot, but I just know, I just, in, in hindsight, I look back and they just got up every single day and went to work. And so that was probably, honestly, I mean, they were great people. Um, they, they stressed education. You were going to make grades. But really, the, the model of just get up every day and, and go to work was probably deeply entrenched in me through watching them. Yeah, there's power in consistency through example. And I'm sure totally. we'll touch, touch on that in a little bit. So you had uh, these parents that embodied that. You're around sports. Uh, you had a chance to go play baseball at Wichita State. And you played three different sports, I think is what you said. Did you always want to play baseball or how did you decide, hey, baseball is going to be the sport that I want to play in college? Yeah, it it was uh, uh, it was always my favorite sport and um, it was obviously going to be my best shot to play at the at the next level. Um, you know, five, five, ten and a half white dude in basketball is probably not going to cut it. <laughs> same thing, same thing in same thing in football. Um, good athlete, but not not near what you need to be to, to play at a high level in basketball or football. Um, and just baseball was, was my, was my thing. I think when I think about athleticism, my, my number one trait as an athlete was probably hand-eye coordination, which helps in, in baseball. Um, so yeah, always my favorite sport. And you just, I, I just knew, you know, you it, it, I don't remember consciously thinking this is the best route that I have. I was just really passionate about it and it just kind of, um, yeah, I just followed that route. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And, and you had success at Wichita State, is that correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I played on some really good teams. I, I, I think my college career is a great example of what it looks like when you get in an environment that um, elevates everybody. So honestly, if you were to look at my athleticism and my talent, I probably overachieved in the reason why I overachieved is I was I was surrounded the, the environment was really ripe to to overachieve. I was surrounded by some really good players, guys who played in the big leagues. My coaches were 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 awesome. They were really high challenge, but also high support. So the environment was there for me to to um, overachieve. Yeah, absolutely. Now going back to that point too, you were around this environment that kind of overachieves, and you had great coaches. You later down the road became a coach. But what were the things you took away while you were a player that maybe you did or didn't know would affect you as a coach down the road? Yeah, I think the the one thing that comes to mind is I had a great relationship with my pitching coach. I had a great relationship with all the coaches, but I uh, my primary thing, I, I did both um, hit and pitch, but I, I felt drawn to the pitching side. And a lot of that was because of uh, Brent Kimnitz, my pitching coach. And so I think the way the way he built relationships, um, he he built relationships. He invested in his athletes, and and then therefore had a really loud voice into our lives. And and so I mean, there's there's a couple times in college where I remember not pitching well, and he'd come out to the mound, and for lack of a better term, he would blow you up. I mean, he would get after you, but I don't ever remember thinking that son of a blank I, ever it was always like man i know he cares for me i know he loves me i know he wants me to do great i know he wants to challenge me at a really high level right now because i'm not performing what i'm capable but it all it, it all stemmed from and is, was dictated by having a relationship so that impacted me as then i go into coaching and by the way i'm wired that way too i love to build connection i i'm i'm a relational um it's probably one of my one of my strengths um, so it was easy, but the, I saw that picture of what it looked like to build relationship. And then, um, so I took that into my coaching and it helped that it's part of my gifting as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great point by your coach. And then also you had a chance to play minor league baseball, correct? Was it for the Marlins? Correct. Yep. What was that experience like? And, and what did you learn throughout those experiences? Um, it was good. It was a good experience. It's hard. Uh, it's different than in college. I go from a college program that I loved. My four years at Wichita State were as impactful four years as, as I've had. Um, there's a couple other periods in my life where I feel like had massive impact, and that's right right there with with those. And so you go to Pro Bowl, and it's a different environment. It's um, it, 
to to say it's like you just you're you're on your own and you do your own thing is probably a little too strong but it leans that way you know you're you're not trying you're not necessarily trying to win the midwest league championship you're trying to get to the big leagues Mm -hmm. and so it's a different environment again i think a lot of times when you come from a college environment that you that, that you love and it's it's team and there's unity and you just had a great experience the the pro game can be a little bit of a shock to your system um and so but it was a good experience i mean it was hard um it's a it's a hard grind and and you, you know you you learn pretty quick like man i thought i was pretty good but dude there's a lot of really good players and every year you'd go to spring training you look at you know guys that are a year younger or two years younger or three years younger and you're like man these dudes are good <laughs> so reality reality really hit you in the face um good experience not great but it taught me a lot and there was there were some things that i think i got from it from from primarily just a man you have so, you have to have some grit you have some long seasons you're away from home uh you better be be willing to persevere and in, in you know for lack of a better term tough it out because there are some tough times yeah and would you say what was your mindset when you when you face a little bit of adversity you face some challenges what was your mindset in the moment? And then how did that evolve as well? Yeah, you know, I don't even know if I, you know, you're, 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 you're 23, 24, 25. And I don't even remember like, you know, oh, I've got to get this mindset. You just, again, I'll go back a little bit to identity. And when your identity is tied to something, um, although it can, it, 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 it can end up being very, uh, it can be a negative, but through some of those tough times, like that got you through, got you through, you know, my, this is what I do. This is who I am. And so I have no other choice, but to get through these hurdles and these speed bumps and these, you know, detours. So I, so I don't really remember consciously thinking, you know, reading a, a Zig Ziglar book or, or, or anything like that. It just is like, man, you just got to keep going. You yeah. got to keep going. If you want to get to the big leagues, you better, you better fight through this. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what your parents taught you just being consistent day in, day out. Right. Yep. So yep. I think that's a really important point, but also I love hearing people's perspective because obviously there was a time where we all have to pivot and change direction. What was that like for you? Because you talked about identity playing baseball, being so involved in baseball, and then maybe you decide, Hey, okay, maybe it's time to to hang up the shoes and and maybe transition into something else. What was that like? Was it a tough experience or did you kind of know it was time? And, and how did that, what did that look like? Yeah, I got released and uh, you just kind of know. And I I am wired this way that when 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 it's done, I, I just don't struggle with looking back and, uh, you know, dwelling in what could have been and, you know, I, I'm pretty good at, uh, and by the way, this can be a negative, but oftentimes it is a positive where when that door shuts, I'm just, I'm ready to move on. I'm okay. So mm-hmm. I didn't have any of those moments. I probably had that. I, I, I got a phone call, got released. And then, you know, I probably had that day where I was like, damn, what do I do now? <laughs> a little bit of that, but, but pretty soon thereafter, literally maybe the next day it's like, well, my, my career's done now. What do I do? Let's mm-hmm. go. And I knew I wanted to coach because of the impact that Brent Kimnitz had on me. And so it was a pretty easy for me. It was pretty easy. Like, all right, next thing, let's go. So I'm wired that way. Um, obviously other people have a really tough time when their career ends and it's just really hard to move on. Now, granted, let's, let's keep it in perspective. I did have a three-year minor league career. It wasn't like I played 20 years in the big leagues. Sure. Sure. Could have been different if that's the case, but three-year minor league career. Honestly, it was, it's, I'm wired this way and it was pretty easy just to say, all right, what's next? Yeah. And, and sometimes it is difficult for people three years, 20 years. And sometimes it's easy to be able to shift your focus and say, okay, next thing, uh, next thing up, I'm going. And so you talked about, you wanted to coach. So you knew that was obviously important to you because you had also been impacted by coaches that you had had, which yep. I think is a great reason why a lot of people get in coaching is because of the influence that we coaches have made on them. I mean, that's why I wanted to coach is because I had great coaches. I think it's powerful. Uh, You touched on your coach wanting to have had a strong relationship with you. And so when he went to ream you out, it wasn't in a negative perspective. It was like, I know he wants what's best for me. So I'm willing to listen no matter what. So I love that. And then getting back into coaching, how did you find your first coaching gig and what did that look like? 
Yeah, it goes back to my pitching coach, just connections. Um, yeah, he had connections. He went to bat for me big time. And so my first job was at the University of Iowa as their pitching coach. Um, and, and, and really, I mean, let's be honest, most, most, most of the time you get a job, it's because of who you know. You know, they get you, they get your foot in the door. They, they go to bat for you. And that's exactly what, what happened. It wasn't like my resume, my coaching resume did not get me that job. It was connections and, and it helped that I came from a, a program that at that time in the early mid, mid to early nineties was we were rolling. I mean, Wichita state was really good. And so that helps coming from a, a program that has had success playing professional baseball is going to help. Mm -hmm. And then having my pitching coach, Brent Kimnitz really go to bat for me, which is, I, I owe him so much. He's such an impact on me, uh, but he goes to bat for me and I, and I land the job. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he went to bat for you also shows too. It, it wasn't like, you know, when you're in college, you weren't working hard. You weren't doing the right things every day. You were doing those things. So he was willing to go to bat for you because he knew the type of character that you had and the work ethic. I wasn't there, but I know that for a fact that that's why he would go to bat for, for somebody like that. So totally. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to go to bat for like a dude that you're like, man, that guy's kind of a turd. I don't yeah. know if I love him. It's probably not going to go to go to bat. We had a great relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like stepping into your first coaching job as a pitching coach at the university of Iowa? Cause it's a totally different perspective when you go from a player to a coach. Yeah, it is my wiring. So it, 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 by the way, I wasn't great. I mean, it, it took me a while. It, yeah. My first year was not good. Um, good experience. I was wired to be a coach. I think, you know, I think some wiring. So the transition was easy. Now, did I do a good job? I mean, I was, I was young. Um, the, probably the best thing I did is I really tried to build relationships. Uh, but I'll never forget. It was, it was at the beginning of my second year. I remember, um, I was down in the bullpen and I was walking back to the dugout. I was talking to a, a guy who was going to get, get up in the bullpen and I was walking to the dugout. And I just remember thinking, I'm trying to be like Brent Kimnitz. And I probably should be myself. I had that aha moment of like, dude, this is not me. I, that's not who I am. Some of it is, but some of it's not. And so that was probably the thing that, that, that helped me. And I, you know, you, I, I felt like I still had it, times in my life even beyond that where I'm like dude I've got to remember who I am how I'm wired how I'm cut I got to be me but that that moment the early in my second year it just it's vivid uh, walking on you know walking back to the dugout thinking I got to be myself hmm. yeah there's power in being able to be yourself and, and not trying to be someone someone else so I think that's a really good perspective and obviously you coach for a long time and what was the reason, like, or, or how did you decide to transmit transition out of coaching? Yeah, honestly, I just, I, I was, um, I was reading one night. We had a Tuesday night game. I was at Dallas Baptist University and was really enjoying who I was working for. A guy named Dan Hefner, just awesome dude. Really enjoyed it. And um, reading one night, I'm reading a Tim Keller book, actually. And I just I just had a sense that my this was like in March. So we're, we're kind of, you know, three or four weeks into the season. And I just remember having this thought of like, I think I'm supposed to get out of coaching. And so um, best way I can explain it is really I felt like the Lord was starting to transition me out. And so I went to, to the, the head coach again, Dan Hefner, the next day, I think, and just said, dude, I don't know what's going on, but I feel something, some stirring. And so we just kind of prayed about it throughout the spring. And then I transitioned out. That was in 2010, after three years at Dallas Baptist. So it was really a, a, a God moment. Hmm. And then you decided to step into ministry. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a little season in the desert. I, I circled I, I circled like the Israelites for uh, about four months in a desert, not knowing, Lord, what are you doing? Like this, I, I had, I was doing some, some sell stuff, um, commission only. And, and for, for those of your audience that doesn't know when you're on commission only and you don't sell anything, you don't get any money <laughs> and that's hard. So I picked up some odds and end jobs and really wasn't sure. And then I felt a call to ministry and was actually thought I was supposed to go with athletes in action. Hmm. I started the process of, of that. And then uh, we were attending a church 
um, in Midlothian and um, small church, a church plant. And I was getting, I got to know the lead pastor there, a guy named Rodney Hobbs. And um, we, we were meeting up, I think it was like every other week, a couple times a month, just meeting up together. And on one particular meeting, he said, man, I want to offer you a job. It was the church was starting to grow at that time. And so um, just almost knew immediately, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. So I don't I sensed I was supposed to go into ministry. I just was in I was in lane five, I thought, with AIA, and he moved me to lane six and said, I want you to be on a on a church staff. And uh spent six years there. And that those six years were the most impactful development wise, self-awareness wise, leadership wise. It was a six years of, um, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't have that mentorship from Rodney Hobbs, that development, uh, that, that, uh, yeah, I just owe a lot to, to, to Rodney. So yeah, that's kind of how that transition played out. Yeah. Was it a tough transition or was it like you touched on earlier when you kind of knew you were able to step in and focus and not really <laughs> think back to coaching? It was probably like my transition from playing to coaching. I felt like, man, this I can do this. Like I think I'm wired to do this, but I wasn't very good at it early on because it's it's completely new. I mean, yeah. really, if you asked me during um, before the spring of 2010, what will you do the rest of your life? I I would have said I will die as a baseball coach. That's just that's all I know. Sure, literally, I played, I coach. I don't know what else I would do. And so this was a, a pretty big transition, um, but it was it it also it it was also in a, a sweet spot for me as far as some of my wirings. I mean, it's very much like coaching when you start parsing through exactly what goes on. It's just in a different arena. So it fit me. I felt comfortable. I wasn't very good because I had never done it before. So I had to grow a lot. But uh, the transition, I would say, overall was good. Is mm-hmm. it was it that? Uh tough or easy for you to step into something new, uh, not being very good at it initially, because whenever we step into something new, it's always going to be a little bit of a change. But at the same time, you are fitting yourself and aligning yourself with things that kind of are your natural makeup. Yeah, no, I, um, I didn't really wrestle with it. I don't know yeah. if it's ignorance or arrogance or a trust in the Lord that no, this is where I'm supposed to be. So why even worry if I'm not very good? Just keep, keep going, keep getting better. Yeah. It wasn't at that. T- I mean, it was a tough transition as far as me learning and getting up to speed. But as far as like me feeling like, man, what I do, or I'm not sure if this is for me or dang, I'm insecure because I've got, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I did have those moments, no doubt, but in general, it, it was a, it was a good transition. And I think a big piece of it was, Rodney Hobbs and the development, I could just, I just knew I was growing. I mean, I did, the, the Lord was just doing so many things. He was, he was softening some edges. He was giving me some wisdom. There was just some things that were going on. So I really never dwelt on the fact that like, dang, I'm probably not great right now. It just, ah. it wasn't a, it wasn't too, I didn't think about that too often. Now, I did have some moments where I'm like, dude, that's, that meeting sucked. That was not very good. <laughs> But in general, it was I, I I didn't dwell on that too much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about mentors? Because it sounds like he was somebody that really impacted you and you learned a lot from in those those years that you were on staff. And I think you've touched on before some of the coaches that you worked for were impactful. Have you always sought out people ahead of you as as mentors, or has it come kind of organically, or what does that look like? Yes. It I've I've I didn't really recognize it until here in the last year and a half probably but if i look back at the trajectory of my life i've always just kind of trying to figure out who do i need to get around so that i can learn from them and um so in college i was constantly asking brent kimnitz i was constantly picking his brain um and then in when i was coaching there was there was just always consistently coaches you know you're out recruiting in the summer always trying to saddle up next to one of the coaches and, and, and ask them questions. And then, uh, Rodney Hobbs was a, a huge mentor. I mean, huge. He, he, he did, he, he helped me so much. So I spent six years just learning from him and walking with him. And then, you know, I, and then I look over the last five years in, in my consulting business and I, yeah, I'm just consistently seeing this theme 
of I just I'm just trying to get around people that are sharper than me, that are better than me, that are further along than me, that have maybe insight that maybe I don't have. Actually, I just got done with a lunch talking to to a person about I need to get around these two guys. Like I need to spend time with them because I think they can sharpen me. I think I can glean from them. So yes, it has been a theme throughout my life. Unknowing to me, it just I was just drawn. I'm I'm wired to be curious. Mm. And um, I read a lot. So I've had some mentors that have no idea who I am. But I've also had some mentors of like relationship where I get to pick their brain and ask them questions. So yeah, it's been a it's been a theme in my life. Yeah. So what would you say? It sounds like from your perspective, you you've aligned yourself with with great people that had similar values, but also were great leaders. And so you put yourself in those positions, whether you know it or not. But at the same time, I know now a lot with what you do you're really seeking out people to learn and grow and help. What does it look like for maybe a person that's wanting to, to try to find a mentor or reach out to someone? What is, in your opinion, the best ways of going about doing that and learning from people that are ahead of you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So maybe I'll just share one example of how this played out. So um, did a podcast with a guy named Kyle Stark who was the former assistant general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Got, it was one of those, like, this guy told me about this guy who then told me about Kyle. So I got to Kyle, do a podcast with him. And I get done, I'm like, ding, that dude's sharp. Like, there's there's some juice there, big time. And so um, I followed up with him a couple of weeks later. And again, was just walked away really impressed. Um, we lined up in so many facets um, faith and leadership and in the baseball, you know, he was in the baseball world forever. So, um, a couple weeks later, I just reached out to him. I said, Hey, by the way, it helped that he had, uh, the whole, you know, they had a change at, at Pittsburgh. So he was, he was out of a job. Mm-hmm. So he had some free time, but I, I, I said, Hey, um, you would be a huge resource to me. I'd love to be able to consistently pick your brain. Would you be open to maybe every two or three weeks just hopping on a on a phone call? Maybe we do it for three months, and if if it's if it's not life giving for you, and you're like, dude, I got to get away from this guy. We <laughs> you, you can do it before then, but then we have a clean break, no pressure, no expectations. But would you be willing to hop on a call every three weeks or so and just allow me to run things by you and work things out? Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Love it, we're in." And so to this day, we, you know, we're 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 really good friends, and um, it sharpened me. It helped me. There's another guy that um, that I've tried to get around as much as I I, I could. A guy named Brett Ledbetter at What Drives Winning, and I just he there was something in tree. A dude sharp, really wise. And so I tried to get as much around him as much as I can. I wasn't able to do exactly what I did with Kyle because Brett's really busy, um, but he was gracious enough to give me multiple times where I got a chance to either either over a phone call or a Zoom or in person a couple times where I just got a chance to, to hang with him and, and pick his brain. So I have learned um, that if I were given advice, I would say super low pressure, like, dude, if you don't want to, I promise you, I won't be offended. But I do want to ask. Be bold. So don't be don't be pressured. Like, don't make it weird. Give them an out. Be bold and ask them. And um, honestly, one one piece of advice that I've read about and heard about a lot is like, well, you have to add value to them. And at the end of the day, generally, if you're if you're seeking out somebody that's further along than you that's sharper than you that's 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 that um is going to add a ton of value to you really the best value add you can give them is not oh i need to tell him some things it's you asking them questions because hmm. believe it or not when somebody asks you questions there's a value add like i'm asking kyle Stark. i mean i'm peppering questions at kyle stark i peppered questions at, at brett ledbetter they are forced to articulate what they believe. They're forced to think through this logically. And so in, in a roundabout way, I actually think I am adding value to them and they're adding a tremendous value to me. But I've never understood that the, I, I think sometimes we get it twisted of like, hey, if you're gonna, if you're gonna ask for, uh, for somebody to maybe spend some time with you to, to, to work some things out, 
you need to add value to them. I always had this perception of like, well, what am I going to tell these guys? Yeah. Like, Hey, Kyle, I know you've answered all my questions. Now I would like to answer any questions you might have for me. That's weird. So I think the value add is just me asking them questions. I know when somebody asks me a question, it forces me like this podcast, it forces me to think linear. It forces me to put together my thoughts and that sharpens me. Mm, I love that. You know, when you were talking about the word you mentioned before was curiosity. And so just being curious actually can be something that gives back to people that are above you because like you just talked about, you, you did it eloquently enough where you described exactly why that's important. And I know this is a little bit of a tougher question because for some people, curiosity is innate, but how would you go about maybe for someone that maybe doesn't have that mind that's as curious as most, but how can you develop curiosity in your opinion? I've wrestled with this uh-huh. and um, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or can you, or can you? So here's, here's, here's my thought. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I think when you, my experience anecdotally have no research on this anecdotally when you find something that lights you up i have found that 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 the curiosity that you have whether it's really high or maybe it's even low you're going to max out your curiosity if you find that thing that really lights you up like I, I, I very rarely ask questions to my father-in-law who's really handy about home, you know, f- home fix it up projects. Cause I could give, I could, literally could care less. <laughs> I'm not curious about it. It doesn't light me up. I, I, I just, I, you know, but you get me in a leadership conversation and dude, you probably have to cut me off and say, dude, shut up. Stop asking <laughs> me questions. Cause I'm going to fire a whole bunch of questions. So I think, I don't know if you can st- stir up curiosity i think the way that you that you max out a person's curiosity is help them maybe get in the lane that they need to get in and and what if it lights you up there's a good chance again it might be it might be low it might be middle it might be really high if it lights you up you're probably going to max out the the curiosity that you do have what are your thoughts when i say that yeah i think that's i think it's spot on because i you know i always wonder that too because I think it obviously can be developed over time, but when you can develop commonalities with people, it automatically triggers curiosity because I want to learn more about some of the things that we might have in common or some things that I'm trying to do that might, that person might be ahead of us. Um, So I think, yeah, there's definitely levels of putting yourself in the right lane, like you said, and being able to ask questions because you have uh, an intrigue or curiosity towards that. And I think that makes a big difference on being able to, in a sense, like we touched on earlier, you touched on, make it where it's something you're giving back to someone because no one wants to, you know, mentor someone that really isn't that curious and and is asking bad questions. It doesn't, it's, it's a no win for anybody. So when you, when you can definitely hop in and into a conversation that you have commonalities with, and you're asking questions that are challenging and helping uh, sharpen you and the way you think, I think those are really important. Like you said, so I I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So. I, I'm I'm thinking of this. I I, I know men who who are, they they tolerate their job. Mm-hmm. If you were to put somebody from from their industry or whatever they're doing in front of them, my gut says they would probably not be really curious. However, if you were to talk to that same dude about hunting and fishing, and put a a, a somebody across the table from them that is a hunter and fisherman as well. I promise you that dude would probably light up and ask some great and like wear that person out with questions. Why? Because they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. They're in their job. They could give two flips about asking questions. They're like, dude, I just want to get to the weekend so I can go to the deer stand. (laughs) So I, I, I think the, the, instead of thinking through how can we be more curious, I tend to think that you're going to be curious about the things you're passionate about. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Align with your passions and, and especially in regards to reaching out to people that you'll be able to add value because you are curious about those similar things. One thing you touched on was self-awareness. And I heard this story that you touched on when you were on, on staff at church 
about someone that came up to you and said something. And I think it's really powerful because it goes back into your story of being around good people, but also like a coach sliding into you on the mound, you listened because you knew they cared about you. Talk a little bit about self-awareness and how important that experience was for you. Yeah, really, really, really important. And so there was a culture at the church that I was at Stonegate that, that uh, self-awareness was a big deal. We did multiple, um, you know, like uh, we didn't do the disc or the Myers-Briggs, but we did what was called the flipping report, um, really valuable tool. We did some tools that would help self-awareness. And so it was kind of the culture in that, in that church trying to just figure out um, things like what are your strengths? What are your constraints? But also internally, like what are those, what, like how are you doing internally? Do you have an awareness of your emotions? You know, most people, including myself, grow up in families that it's like, dude, you just stuff your emotions down and you act like things are fine. And so we did a ton of self-awareness. So that was the culture. And so to, to make the story quick that you've, you've heard, guy comes up to me, a friend of mine who was on staff and say, hey, I just want to point something out. You, 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 can, you can get really aloof and standoffish at times on Sunday mornings. And we drilled down specifically when I have something, you know, when I've got three or four things to do, I'm just going to walk by people and it's like no one exists. And, you know, I, I share the story like after when he shares that to me or shares that with me, you know, after I got over the, the part of like, well, let me tell some things about you that you need to <laughs> on. About 15 seconds later, I'm like, dude, he's right. He's so right. And so um, what the, what the, the picture of that is we had a relationship. He was not afraid to say something. You know, I use this. It's a little gross, but it, it, it is true. Um, if you and I are hanging out, we're, 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 at, we're in Tulsa and you and I are hanging out. And we go out to dinner and we're, we're you know, we're, we're spending a couple hours just talking leadership and all that. And after two and a half hours, I go to the bathroom and I look and I have a big burger on my nose. <laughs> I'm going to walk back to the table and be like, dude, are you kidding? How do you not, how do you not tell me that I had this monstrous booger hanging from my nose? Uh -huh. And so um, that the guy at, at Stonegate was willing to point the booger on my nose. And yeah. that, you know, if, if, if we do it at dinner and you're like, well, Travis, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to make you, I didn't want it to be uncomfortable. I didn't want you to think, well, I'd be like, no, I could care less. You need to tell me when I have a booger on my nose. Same thing. I was standoffish and I was aloof. And so he told me, so we had a relationship. He went straight to the tension and just called it out. And, and, and it wasn't a huge risk, but anytime you have those conversations, there's a little bit of a risk. Sure. Like, is this dude going to like immediately get defensive? And then like our relationship is just, radically different will they receive it well so um it is a little bit of a risk but i would i would say most people want to know if they have a booger on their nose now delivering it is is important you know how do you deliver that that's important but most people want to to know it hurts their feelings it embarrasses them for a period of time but my experience has been at the end of the day they come around and they're like you know what i appreciate you sharing that it took me about 20 seconds for me to recalibrate and think, you know what? He's right. Yeah. And like you touched on, it was self-awareness where you're sitting there sitting after 10 seconds or so saying, Oh, you know what? He is right. And to be humble enough to understand, like, oh, I'm going to look through this. He's trying to make me better. So I think that's a really important, powerful thing because yeah, we want to know when we got a book on our nose or it doesn't even have to be that, but maybe you're treating people the wrong way. Just having people around you to speak life and truth into you, uh, both in the good times and in the bad times. So 100%. I, I love that. I love that story hearing that. So you decided to, to step into another uh, little section of life where you stepped away from ministry and started what you're doing now. Uh, talk a little bit about that and how that evolved and started. Yeah, felt again, felt a prompting like, man, I think my time here at Stonegate is, is up. Love the people. It, it's a it's a fantastic place. I just sensed that the Lord was was moving again. And again, I wasn't really sure what was going on. Um, I, I read a lot of Abraham during that time where, where God says, Abraham, I, I want you to leave the land and go. And he doesn't tell him what his next steps are. He just says, go. And so Abraham has to walk in faith that the Lord's going to reveal to him next steps. I had that again. I had it in, in 2010 with, with coaching, and I had it again with ministry. 
And so, uh, again, felt a prompting, really trying to figure out where you're moving me, what's next. And uh, I started uh, doing some work at a place called Mission Arlington. It's a phenomenal organization in Arlington, Texas, just about 25 minutes from here. Phenomenal organization. I mean, it's it's as good as they come. And so I started doing some work down there and um, they do some some they plant some churches in apartment buildings and some Bible study in apartment buildings. And, you know, they feed and clothe people. It's just a really great organization. So I start, I had been going down there about a month. I felt like the Lord maybe was moving me into some sort of mission work. And then one morning I'm getting ready to head to Arlington. And again, it was like a thought just lit up on my mind that I'm, I'm supposed to coach still. And my first reaction when I just had this sense of, of when that thought entered my mind, my first reaction. Now I would say it's the Lord. I mean, it was the Lord prompting me. Um, if I'm not talking to a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say I just had this thought, you know, that that popped up. And my first thought was like, I want nothing to do with baseball. I'm over baseball. So driving home from Arlington that night, I pull over at a Starbucks, pull out my journal, and just started. Basically, I said, Lord, what are you what are you speaking to me now? And I just started writing. And it's funny, if I were to go back and look at the journal that I wrote that in, which I've done many times, um, the the vision that I had in 2017 and what I'm doing now is it's it's pretty darn close. I mean, it is it is pretty darn close. There's some nuanced differences. I've grown and, and got some more clarity in some areas. And so really it was just the Lord just kind of started moving and then uh, made some phone calls. Yeah, I won't bore you with the whole journey, but that is really how it transpired. Yeah. Well, I, one thing as you were talking about it, you said prompting. And as you look back at your story, whenever you felt prompted to step into something else, like you touched on Abraham, stepping into something where you don't know what the outcome looks like. And it's that lifetime of faithful obedience that is really important but it's really tough to do sometimes for some people. And yes. how would you say, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm asking the question, but I'm kind of answering in my head. How do you get good at being able to trust the promptings of God and follow the promptings of God and act in obedience to, to faith and what he's calling you to do? Yeah, I think there's two things. The first thing is I actually do think he has given me uh, probably to certain extent, the gift of faith, where I just kind of believe, I just kind of have faith. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, is when you step out in faith, and for me in 2010, and I saw the Lord provide over and over and over. I mean, I think I, I, I mentioned, I was in a commission sales job. <laughs> I didn't sell. So there was not much money. I saw the Lord provide, and I'll bore you with all the story, the God stories. He provided for me and my family. Like it was unbelievable. So what happens is you step out, you see him provide, you continue to try to press in and abide in him. So you know which way he's taking you. You try to be obedient. You try to walk in faith and he provides, and then he provides again and he provides again. And then you go through that in 2010 that my family went through. And then fast forward to 2017 and my, the, the gift of faith helps, but then also the faithfulness of the Lord, you just see it. And so it's easier the second time. It's easier the third time. It's easier the fourth time to, to step out because you have that history with God that says, I know you're faithful. And so the combination of those two things, 2010 was really, really, really hard when I transitioned out of coaching. I'm talking, it was, it, it was really hard. Mm -hmm. 2017, much easier. Why? Because I had longer history with God. He, I'd just seen his faithfulness. And so that was a key deal for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you answered the question, just being able to that first initial one. And over time, your confidence builds, your faith builds, and you see how God provided. And like you touched on the word provision, uh, he, he gave provision in those situations. So I, I thought that was a really important point. I didn't want to skip over that before we jump into kind of what you're doing, because you, you had talked about how you had thought you don't want to coach baseball, but it ultimately came in, you're coaching a lot of coaches now. Yep. And what did that look like to step into that and coach a lot of coaches and a lot of leaders and help them? Because you know, when you're in coaching, you can understand that being a head coach sometimes is a very lonely position. Hopefully it's not, but sometimes it can be. 
And so how did you step into that and then be able to help a lot of the coaches that you coach and help now? Yeah, I reached out to a buddy of mine who was a basketball coach at East Texas Baptist, a guy named Brandon Curran. And I said, dude, this, this is what the Lord, I feel like is showing me. And he paused and he said, hey, I think you probably need to get a hold of Ryan Irwin, who's the athletic director at ETBU. He said, I think you need to get a hold of Ryan and Dr. Blackburn. Dr. Blackburn's the president at ETBU. So I reached out to them and just shared with them kind of what's, what's going on. And um, long story short, they bring me out. So I start working with their coaches. So they want, they, their coaches are to pour into their student athletes. And so they wanted, they brought me in to pour into the coaches. And so I got, I spent, I'm still out there. It's going on five and a half years, over five and a half years now that I've been working with them. And that was um, the amount of gratitude that I have for Ryan Irwin and Dr. Blair Blackburn and even Brandon Kern for getting me. So he's no longer there, but getting me started. The amount of, of gratitude I have for them is off the charts because what, what allowed me to do is I, I was able to get reps. I was able to make mistakes. I was able to, I mean, I learned so much from going out there every other week. Um, it was huge for me because I knew that I was called to do it. And I think I was wired to do it, but there's still this thing called experience that really helps. Yeah. And so, dude, it was so great. I got, you know, it's, it's, it just allowed me to have reps on what I, I just learned a ton. So that was the, literally when I think through what was the catalyst, it was ETBU, East Texas Baptist University, little division three school in Marshall, Texas, that I would say was the absolute catalyst for, for, me to be where I am right now. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that obviously it was in your makeup and you're trusting God throughout the whole process, but you're willing to ask, like you reached out to your buddy, you made the ask. And then all of a sudden these opportunities came where you got to put the reps in and get better and better and better each day, just like consistency, just like a lot of things we've talked about. So there was a, a experience. I think I heard that you had a cohort of some of the top coaches in all of college athletics. How did that come about? And what was some of the things you took away from those, those experiences? Yeah, I was driving. It was right, right in the middle of COVID. I'm driving home from the grocery store and um, I'm listening to a podcast. Um, it's called Farnham Street uh, by Shane Parrish. And he was interviewing John Maxwell. And John Maxwell was talking about the law of the inner circle, getting people around you that just make you better. And so I just had this idea of like, I, I had ran a couple cohorts prior to this. So I, the, I, I was a part of a cohort when I was on staff at Stonegate with a group of pastors, uh, executive pastors from around the country. There was eight of us. So this picture of a cohort, I had already had that. We, we were on Zoom before anyone knew what Zoom was. So I had this thought of like, man, I'm, I'm going to reach out to like, I'm going to shoot for the stars and see if I can't gather a group of five to eight coaches that they could, they could feed off of each other and help each other grow and learn. And then I get the re residual effect of learning from some of the best of the best. So I called a good friend of mine, the Dallas Baptist bed, uh, head baseball coach, Dan Hefner, and I ran that idea by him. And I, then I just started systematically working through. I started with a guy named Kevin Hambly who's a Stanford volleyball coach star. I mean, this guy is as good as they come. I had gotten to know him through a podcast. And so I said, Hey, here's my idea. What do you think? He's like, I'd love to be a part of it. So I have two. And then I leveraged Dan Hefner and he reaches out to a guy named Pat Murphy, who's at Alabama. They're both Iowa boys. He's the softball coach at Alabama, Dan Hefner and Pat Murphy both grew up in Iowa. So they had connections. They knew each other. He reaches out to Pat and says, hey, here's what Travis is going to do. Would you be interested? Pat said, yes. I reached out to him, nailed down. So now we got three. It just kept growing. Then we got Anson Dorrance, who I had on a podcast, and asked him, and he was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, really? Okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, then, we, then we got Tim Corbin and Kel Sanderson. Uh, Kel's the Penn State wrestling coach, and Tim Corbin's the head uh, baseball coach at Vandy. Got all those guys together. Kale end up having to back out because their practice schedule over COVID was, was right during the time we were going to do this. 
And so that's how it came out. I shot for the stars. Honestly, I just said, why not shoot or shoot? I'm going to go for this. And I had some help, by the way. Kevin helped connect. Dan helped connect. And we met once a month uh, for about, I think it was it ended up being 10, I think 10 a month. Um, and it was phenomenal. I got to learn. I think they got sharpened. It was just a win-win for everybody. Yeah. I love that story of just kind of shooting for the stars and being able to reach out. Uh, but at the same time, you can see that people are people and they want to learn and grow. And when yep. you get a chance to be around others that have maybe different mindsets, perspective, different leadership tactics, everyone wants to try to learn and grow. And going into that, what were some of the takeaways that you learned? I, I'm sure there's a lot. So if you could maybe sum it up to a, a few, what are some that come to top of mind to you from being in that group? Yeah, a, cu a couple of things. Um, one, they're all different. I mean, they're, they're really uniquely different. And so this, this idea of, you know, you've got to be a, 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 a great communicator. You got to be super organized or you got to be fill in the blank, whatever the latest book and or podcast is saying that all elite leaders have. I, I was learning that, that they, they all have those, but they're to varying degrees. Like not all leaders are great communicators. Not all leaders are highly organized. Now you got to be above the screech line. Yeah. You have to have some, you don't have to be a huge connector, but if you're like, if you just can't talk to people, it's probably, you'd probably need to be behind a computer. So I learned that they're all different. They all stack their gifts to different varying degrees. Um, they're all learners. They all want to grow. They all want to get better. They were really curious. I mean, Anson Dorrance has won 23 national championships. And I'm telling you, uh, Ed, if not all of the Zoom meetings we did, a majority of them, he would say something to the effect of, you know, to Pat or to Kevin or to Dan or to Tim, that is unbelievable. I'm going to implement that. That is so good. And you would have thought he was he was in his first year of a high school JV soccer coach. <laughs> and so, and, and I just use Anson because he's won 23 national championships. Super curious. They were all really curious. Um, but I think the, the 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 biggest takeaway was leaders stack their giftings in different levels and different ways that make them them. And so it gave me hope that maybe I can be really good at what I, what I do, because maybe if I stack this and I, and I have this gift and I have this gift and this isn't super high, but it's there. Like maybe I can through experience and reps and compound interest, maybe I can grow because these guys were all, or maybe I can be really, really good at what I do because these guys are all different. And so there's no cookie cutter way. I mean, I use the example of like Pete Carroll and Tony Dungy are as different of cats as you can find. And yet they both have really good success. So it should give mm -hmm. all of us, honestly, some encouragement of, of like, wow, like what are my gifts? How can I stack them? Where would they be best utilized? So that's probably the biggest thing I, I the big 30,000 foot view takeaway that I walked away from that. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you touched on earlier, where it's talking about being true to yourself and yes. understanding your makeup, like you just mentioned, and then being willing to learn from other people, but at the same time, know who you are and lead from from the heart, in a sense. 100%. I think you said that way better than I. You said it in like no. five seconds. It took no. me like three minutes. So yes, what you said, I agree. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a powerful story because you got to be around so many great coaches and you continue to do so today. Talk a little bit about what, you know, Kingdom Coaching is, you know, why the name and what are you doing and how do you go about doing it to, to impact coaches and people in general and athletes? Yeah. So the name started when I started this, I, my, 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 my thought was I'm, I'm to pour into those people that are followers of Jesus and who are also coaching. And so what does it look like to coach in the kingdom of God? That's where it started. Well, I've since branched out and I've, I work with followers of Jesus and those that aren't followers. And so um, it's, it's funny, very few people ask me where I got the name. It's really interesting. Very oh. few. You're the second that oh, has nice. ever asked me. So um, that's the genesis of, of, of how it, how it started. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I feel called. I feel called and wired to 
to pour into people, to be a thought partner, to be a sounding board, to, uh, you know, you know, uh, journey with coaches. You mentioned it. A lot of them are lonely. A lot of them are isolated. Another thing that I think happens a lot of time, I think it's called the Galilean effect, where you get in a system, you get in your, your, your bubble, so to speak, and you lose perspective. You get so close to the fire, you get so emotionally invested in something, you get so attached to something that, and, and if, if you've ever coached, you've experienced this where you just, you look up and you're like, I don't even know if I'm looking up or down. I have lost perspective. And so I, although I care deeply about these people and I want them to win, I'm not invested like they are. So I'm one step removed. So I think I can can help bring some perspective. I think I can throw out some ideas on some maybe some principles or some ideas uh, of maybe how to handle a situation. They're the experts. And I don't say that all false humbly. They are the experts of their program, of their sport. We just lose. We Sometimes we just need an outside person to help maybe recalibrate us. And so I try to come to every person I work with really with a blank slate. And I try to just get a sense for their strengths, their constraints. What lane do they need to really run? What are their strengths that they need to just absolutely magnify? Because it's going to propel them. What are the what are the things that are tripping them up, helping them with that? And then we talk, you know, leadership principles and, and frameworks of leadership. And, and we brainstorm. It looks different for each guy because I don't have a cookie cutter all right, we're going to go through the 12 steps of a whatever. I don't have that. I just want to meet them where they're at. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good thought partner. I want to be a good sounding board. And I want to throw some things out to them like, hey, um, you know, I, I, I heard this on Bailey's podcast that, that, that this one leader handled the situation this way. And it sounds very similar. What are your thoughts when I, when I say that? And then we'll back and forth it. So I try to meet them where they're at. I try to come with a blank slate on everybody and just, I want to pour in. Yeah. I love that. And I want to honor your time. But one thing that I think about when you're talking about all this stuff, is there something in particular that you see a common pattern of that, that holds coaches back? Um, Probably not a common pattern. Yeah. I think there. I think each of them have something that trips them up, or to use your language, holds them back. Mm -hmm. The key is to figure out what is this, what what's, it is, yeah, what it is. Um, how do you how do you remove it? How do you overcome it? Um, I, I'm big on trying to really help them have clarity on like, dude, this is who you are. This is what you do well. Like I know you said that you're a culture builder, but underneath that, um, you, you have a unique way of getting buy-in. And I think you get buy-in because of your authenticity and your honesty. And so what I'm trying to do is give them elite clarity on, bam, that is me. That is what I do. And then on the flip side, help them to your point, help them understand what's, what's tripping you up and what's going on there. Not the surface level, what's going on there at a, at a deeper level, why is this constraint tripping you up and how do we how do we get rid of that so i'm i'm consistently thinking through that same self awareness coin on different sides the strength what let's let's really hone in on what you do well and then also the constraint what's tripping you up yeah and i love the term you said elite clarity helping people understand what elite clarity looks like and then really focusing on the things you're good at another thing that i heard you talk about which we don't have to dive too much into it but one of the things is like you talked about maybe some of the weaknesses or the strengths or weaknesses, wherever they are. If you think that, oh, I'm great because my door's always open. But when in fact your door's open, but players or coaches want to run by because they don't want to go talk to you because they might feel like you're not really willing to talk and listen and just being more intentional about those things. I think you do a really good job of being able to see those things and help have elite clarity on what they're good at and then what they can improve on. So I, I love that, that, uh, that point that you made. Well, and, and often, let me, let me interrupt here. This yeah. is where I think, and this has happened in my life. I mean, this has happened so many times. Um, it's often the person one step removed that can see that. Um, every coach in America, most of them are going to say, or, or athletic director, coach or athletic director is, you know, my assistants help keep me in check. And I'm like, well, they might on some areas, but trust me, you you determine their paycheck 
So there's always going to be a governor on what they share with you. It's just natural. Mm -hmm. It's natural. And so the fact that I'm one step removed and can they fire me? Yes, but I'll be all right. You know, yeah. I'll be fine. I've got other clients. And so I think those are those, the, the, again, that, that when you get so close to the fire, you lose perspective oftentimes. And so having somebody just removed um, can be really helpful so that they, we, we, I can say, Hey, I know you think you're very welcoming and open door policy. I think your demeanor and, and some of the posture and some of your responses, I think are giving the opposite. And so we let's, let's talk about that. What are your thoughts when I say that? Um, it's hard for an assistant to go to the head coach and say, Hey dude, I think you can kind of be a jerk, you know, maybe in rare occasions they can say something. It's just really difficult. Um, even if the coach says, no, I, I want my assistants always speaking. I'm like, dude, I've been an assistant. I've been a head coach. That's not as easy as you think. Yeah, absolutely. I think the posture you talked about having a posture of willingness to, to care for the coaches that you work with and, and being able to communicate that effectively in a way that's not just, you know, abrupt and, and, uh, argumentative, but in a way that's caring, right? Totally. Yeah. So I love that, you know, real quickly, as we wind down, there's a question I always love asking is, you know, what does it mean in your opinion to be a good husband and father? And how do you go about doing that on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, I, it's going to sound really cliche ish, but I, I, man, I think there's so much truth to it and I'm not great at it. I think being really present is, is important. Um, and there, and then and there's bullet points under it that have to happen. Like being present with your family, I think understanding where they're at, because at the end of the day, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a husband and I'm a dad, but I'm really called to make disciples. And so I want to be present with them. I want to love them. I want to care for them. I want to do all those things, but I also want to speak truth into their life. And I want to encourage them where they're strong. And I want to, I, I want to, I want to point them to Jesus. I want to, to create an environment where the family's healthy. But a lot, I think a lot of that stems from just being present and being intentional about, about that. So I think if I had to sum it up really quickly, I think being present and being intentional on your pouring into your family at the end of the day, then I think if you looked back and people that do that, people would say, that's a good dad. That's a good mom. That's a good spouse. So yeah, that, I think that's how I'd probably articulate that. Yeah. I think being present is a powerful thing when you can do it effectively and just kind of be where your feet are is a term that I've heard a lot. And I think that's great. Sure. So real quickly, I've got a little fire round for you. So yeah. I'll just say a, a little sense so you can finish with a word since however you feel led. You can do anything if. God calls you to it. This discipline is the separator between good and great. Favorite vacation spot? Southern California. Okay. Integrity is what you say and do lining up. Favorite book? Mm. Golly, that's a hard one. <laughs> I, the first one that came to mind is Trillion Dollar Coach. Okay. You I'll, know it? I don't know it. No, I'm going to have to look that one up. I have not. Yeah, not guy out that. in Silicon Valley basically coached all the the famous founders, the Steve Jobs. I mean, he 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 was a he was a coach to the to the CEOs. Okay. Awesome. I'll have to check that one out. Good one. It all comes down to abiding in Christ. Love it. We're done with the fire round. The final two questions I have for you. Is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? And what is it? I don't think any specific comes to mind. I do think the general idea of what I just talked about as a, as a follower, um, this idea that if we can grasp what it means to abide, if all things if we can do all things through that, that flow from that deep abiding relationship with Jesus, parenting, um, marriage, um, doctor, dentist, teacher, podcaster, whatever. If, if 
all things flow from that deep abiding place. Um, yeah, that would be the advice that that when you get to that spot, when you can really abide in the Lord and let him guide and direct, it's, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Well, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I think for me, building excellence is, uh, for me personally, it's, it's doing what the Lord has called me to do and utilizing my gifts and talent that he's given me, my wiring to, to do that the best I can at a really, really high level. And if excellence comes from that, great. I think it usually does, but I don't think too much about excellence. I think about being really faithful today to what the Lord's called me to do. I think that produces excellence. But when I, if I jump, if I jump over and think, I just want to be excellent. I don't know if I am apart from like doing what I'm called to do at a really high, the highest level I can. I, yeah. I think you said just being faithful today. That's a great way of, of, of looking at it. Cause that's, that's all you can do. So, well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for kind of sharing your story and the way you're impacting so many athletes, coaches, and people around you and your family as well. If people wanted to learn more about you, reach out, what's the best way to do that? And also check out your podcast. What, what are, what are the best way to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for offering this opportunity. Um, so my email is Travis at kingdom coaching TW, my initials TW.com. And then, um, my, my podcast is coaching DNA. It's on, I think I got it wired up on all the Spotify and, and, and Apple and all those sort of things. And then I'm on Twitter. I had to look at my Twitter handle at kingdom coach TW. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you offering that up. So yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, if, if, if any coaches ever want to get in some of your cohorts, definitely check out your website and find more about Mount Travis. Cause it's a great, great way to learn from not just yourself, but other coaches as well. So yeah. Love awesome. it. Do thanks for having me on. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.